My message this morning is entitled Sent, as you hopefully can tell from up there. This message I want you to know is one that's been brewing inside of me for a while, and it's a, sort of a, a coming together of several different streams or influences or, or uh, impetuses behind them, uh, one of them being just uh, the, the theme of discipleship that we've, we've carried through uh, 2022, the last year. We had this theme of making disciples, and, uh, and part of that, I think, uh, has to do with with uh, seeing ourselves in some way sent. I'll try to explain that as we go through this morning, what I mean when I say that word. But, but in, in, in seeing ourselves being sent, I don't think we actually engage in the process of making disciples unless we see ourselves that way. And so part of it's from that. Part of it's from uh, an, an increased uh, emphasis then through our leadership team and just some of the things you'll probably begin to hear from us over the next, I don't know, a little while. I don't know for sure how all that's going to roll out yet. We don't have any any specific plans other than just this, this, this idea that we are to see ourselves as sent and what that means, what that looks like for us. And I think I can safely say too, just because of how it's being wrapped together, the reason I'm, I waited till today to preach it is because we have a, a service plan this evening that our missions committee put together uh, that uh, is also this idea of being sent and how we are sent. And so it's sort of all this coming together. And I want you to know a couple of things before I, I, get, I get started here. Um, I'll just say up front, I have every intention, it's my prayer, it's my, my uh, what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do, I have every intention that when we get done with this morning, that every person sitting here will agree with me that each of us Every person will agree that they themselves are sent, that God has sent them. Now, that may mean different things, and we'll try to clarify that as we go along, but that we are sent is not a question. So let me just say a couple of things about that before we go, before I go on. One is, because of some of the things I know about you and your lives and hear from you, and even just this morning, Stanley's sharing, uh, I know that there's people sitting here that already think this. This is not... This is not news to you. This is not something that you're like, I've never heard this stuff. Mostly I know that's true because we have a lot of really what I would call Bible literate people here in this congregation, which I love. It's something I talked about last week is that, that you know your word and you want to be taught from the word. And so you know the word. And I don't think you can read the word without coming to this conclusion. So I'm not, what I, what, what I, what the last thing I want to do as I go through today is, is, to, is to somehow give you a sense that I'm laying some kind of guilt trip on you or that you aren't doing enough or that there's more that you have to do. It's quite possible some of you, many of you are already living sent, if I can put it that way. However, I also want to be very crystal clear about something. It is my position that by default, many if not most of us just live life the way that life is lived out, the way, that we, we, the way that we have always lived life, if I can put it that way. We see our parents grow up. We see the patterns that our culture establishes for us and how we do things. We, we grow up. We try to find a spouse. We hopefully do that. We get married. We start having children. We have jobs. We, we live our lives. We give ourselves to the church, and that's part of being sent. You'll, you'll hear that this morning. But one of the things I want to just say, one of the reasons this message, I think, is, is coming out is because it's still entirely possible, even when we are very committed to the Lord, 
to, to, to be pulled away from this default understanding that God is sending me. A default position that my will is surrendered to God's will because after all, Jesus is my boss. And a default position that says, if he does say go, I will go. Let me be really honest with you. And I include myself in my honesty. Just so you know this, I include myself in my honesty. I suspect that most every person sitting here this morning would theoretically or, or in their head say, if God says go, I will go. And they would say, yes, that's what I will do. But I'm not sure how many of us would actually do that in reality. In other words, I think most of us still think that that means, but, but I'm, I'm pretty safe because God hasn't told me to go. And I don't know if that may be true. Again, it's not like we were all sent. You're going to hear through, you're not all sent away, like, like physically away. You're going to hear that in the message this morning. So don't worry, I'm not. But I'm convinced that probably more of us are actually called to go somewhere else than it appears to be. Mostly because how many people have we sent from this congregation? How many people have we sent away from this congregation? Anybody want to try to answer that? Not people that got mad and left, or people that just didn't like it here anymore and went somewhere else, but people by very intentional asking through the Lord, of the Lord of what they want, of what he wants in their life, I get this out right, and have said, I believe the Lord is calling me, and we as a church have said, we believe the Lord is calling you, we're going to send you. Curvin picked his finger up and said one, and that's about all I can think of. That's Merlin and Gina's son, Bryce. That's who I'm thinking of, is that God called into ministry, and we agreed with that calling. And it's not like we support him in any way tangibly anymore, necessarily, other than I'm open to his call when he calls me. But we sent him. Todd is saying something else. So go ahead and say it out loud, Todd. All right. Todd says, Chris, I, don't, I won't disagree with that. We do support Chris. We send him all over the country. What's that? Harlan and Mandy. In some sense, I don't know how you see that. That's a, that's a good, that's a good uh, I've had a few of you that, that talk about that way. I, I didn't think of it that way, so I'm, op I'm open to having, um, seeing that we sent them. We don't necessarily support them other than we encourage them when they, we, take the, we get their newsletters. We, I'm okay with that. We can scratch up a few. Anyway. Let's jump in the word. That's my, my, my goal, again, is not to make us feel bad or to make... I, I don't want you to think that I think you should leave. That wasn't a joke. I don't want you to think that. But I want, from every bit of me, I want you to do the difficult work of checking with the Lord and being honest with the Lord and asking him, what do you have for me in my life? How am I sent? In what way am I sent? Because again, my goal is to end today by all of us realizing that all of us are sent. And I'll tell you what that word means. We could use other phrases, by the way. Uh, when Mike Baker was here, I think he used the phrase living missionally. And I think that's the, same, that's the same phrase. To live missionally is to be sent. It's to be aware that, that, uh, that every opportunity I have, no matter where I'm at, uh, is to be used for God's glory to 
be a testimony to Jesus. Well, let's jump in here. I'm going to start this morning. I hope you have the Bible with you. I'm going to flip through a couple of texts. We're going to center on one verse especially. But to get to Acts 1.8, which is the verse that I want, to, I, want to, I want to spend most of my time with, I have to lay a background for how we get to Acts 1.8. So when you open your Bibles this morning, the first place I want you to turn is actually the end of the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes his gospel, and, he, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he wants to uh, carefully inspect all the things that Jesus has done and said. And as he gets to the end of this in Luke chapter 24, uh, I'm going to start reading verse 44. This is after Jesus was crucified, after Jesus was brought back to life, and after Jesus comes back in the disciples' presence, and he begins to interact with them. And as he begins to interact with them, this is what he says. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So once again, as Luke is wrapping together his gospel, Jesus is also doing some summary work, isn't he? He's saying, I've told you these things. I talked about all this stuff when I was alive. And then I went and did everything I told you was going to happen. And he says, this is what was written down. The law talked about it. The prophets talked about it. The Psalms talk about it. All of Scripture points to this, that this is what's going to happen. That the Christ, the Messiah, is going to come. He's going to suffer. And on the third day, he will rise again. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning right where we are at right now, which for them was in Jerusalem. And then he says this. He looks at them and he says, you are witnesses of these things. You have seen these things. Now that word witness is an interesting word because in that sense, when I just use it, it's a literal word, right? You saw these things take place. And the people he was talking to indeed did see those things take place, didn't they? They saw Jesus as he walked around. In fact, from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, there were very few times that the disciples were not with Jesus. And we're not observing what he was doing. And we're not seeing what was happening. Of course, there are gaps. And certainly the moment when he was taken to trial, there are big gaps because all of them ran away. But you're witnesses of these things. But this word witness doesn't just mean that you saw it. It means that you can testify to something. Typically, the strongest testimony, of course, is from an eyewitness. But nonetheless, you can testify to things that you know. You are witnesses of these things. This is the same text Matthew picked up on at the end of his gospel. Now, he did not uh, use some of these exact words, but it's the words that we used to give our, our idea of our theme of discipleship last year, right? Jesus looked at them. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? That's the commission. That's the, we would call that that Jesus was sending them. We understand that language. That Jesus was sending, was commissioning them, was giving them a task. He says, all authority is mine, but I want you to go. And, and as you're going, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make more believers. I want you to bring more people in the kingdom. That's exactly what Jesus was saying as Luke recorded it. Jesus looked at them and said, here's what scriptures are pointed to. You guys watch it unfold. You're witnesses of these things. And now stay in, this, in the city until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But I'm sending you just as 
uh, as I have been sent. Now, let's move, the, the, let's move the, the narrative forward. Let's move the text forward. If you now turn to the book of Acts, this time in chapter 1. Now, Luke also wrote Acts. Same guy, same, same idea behind it. He said, now we're not focusing on what Jesus did. We're focusing on what happened after Jesus left. But there's a little overlap, right? There's an overlap between the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, where there's, where there's a couple things that we're talking about together. And we're going to look at that. In, in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, as Jesus, again, is interacting with his disciples... And it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. We already heard that. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, here's the promise, that he said, you've heard this from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So make sure we're tracking with the story still so far. So Jesus comes, he lives his life, he serves, he gives his life as a ransom for many, he dies, he's put in the grave, he comes back out, and as the, after his resurrection, he's hanging out with the disciples again, he's talking with them, and he says, this all things that were said, and you're witnesses of these things. All these things of what Scripture said was going to happen, you're witnesses of these things, but wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. Now Luke's going to pick up this and he's in Acts here, and we're going to continue reading that story. And he looked at them, he said, listen, wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And they begin to ask questions like, is this now? Surely the resurrected Jesus now. Come back in glory. Now God is going to establish the kingdom now. And he says, no, no, that's not for you guys to know. That's things that under God's authority alone. But here's what I, you do need to know. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you're going to be my witnesses. He, re- he uses the same word again. You're going to be my witnesses, and he names the places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. And as they were talking together, what happens? Jesus begins to rise. He disappears in the cloud. And as they're gazing, of course, not too many people have seen that before, right? When someone just goes up off the earth and disappears in the clouds. Not too many people have seen that. So they're gazing at that, and as they do that, there's two men standing there and saying, hey, as you're looking at this, that's how the Son of Man is going to return again. So now what happens? Now what happens? Well, if you read the book of Acts, they get together, they begin to pray with each other, they spend a lot of time praying together, they fill Judas's position since he's no longer part of them, and then comes Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost comes. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and you can keep on reading how uh, they reached, were speaking in languages. The men of all, from all over the place understood them. Peter preached a powerful sermon. The church was born. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And from that Holy Spirit will come the power or the unction 
to do what I'm asking you to do. And you read the rest of the book of the Acts. And wonderful things happen, right? Some by choice of, the, of their people and some not by their choice because things like persecution happened and they were driven into places. But wonderful things happened nonetheless as God showed up, as God's spirit moved, as powerful proclamations of the gospel went forth, as men like Paul became men like Paul and then were sent into all the known areas of the world, at least the main known areas of the world at the time, not all the known areas. Paul didn't go himself. But the disciples did. Now, here's where I want to stop for a moment in the middle of my narrative before, or middle of my, 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 my preaching before we come back to Acts 1-8 because there's one thing that I could potentially happen that I don't want to have happen. I just want to clarify and make up absolutely clear to us is we could at this point take a position that says, well, Jesus said all these things to these disciples who were right there and then you see them walked out in the book of Acts, but that's it. That doesn't apply to me today because I was not one of Jesus' disciples. I didn't walk around with him. I didn't see those things happen. I don't know if any of you think that way or not. I hope you don't, but I just want to take us back a little bit to one of the other gospels in John chapter 17. This, uh, this chapter in my Bible is called the High Priestly Prayer. It's Jesus praying for his disciples, and he says this kind of language, and I think this is going to kind of button it up for us. If we, have any, if, we, if we feel like we have any wiggle room, I, I, I'm suggesting after this we don't have any wiggle room. As Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says this. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Still talking about his disciples, you could say. He says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then he says these words. I do not ask for these, meaning the ones right there, only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So take this commission that Jesus said as he's praying for them. Picture the scene. He's praying for his disciples. And he's saying, God, just as you have sent me into the world. Did God send Jesus into the world? By very specific design? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? John 3, 16. He sent his son. Paul wrote to the Galatians that when the time was right, at just the right time, God sent his son to be born of a virgin, born of Mary, born under, of a woman, I should say, born under the law. Anyway, God sent his son. And Jesus, praying for his disciples, said, just like God sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. And then, slamming the back door, as it were, he also prays, isn't this amazing? Jesus prays this as he's gathered with his disciples and he says, I don't pray this just for you here. I pray this for all those who will believe in the words that they're gonna say. In other words, what the disciples begin then when the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts chapter two, what's begun through that time frame has now rippled down through the generations, through the, through the ages, through the centuries, through the years, through whatever word you wanna use, through our bloodlines, but has trickled down and all those who believe are pulled back into this prayer that Jesus is praying. And he is praying these things. He's saying, I want us all to be one, just like you, God, are in me, and I'm in you. I want all of us to be one, and I'm sending them into the world so that the world may believe that you've sent me. 
I would suggest to you that when the world ceases to exist, we will cease to be sent. When the world ceases to exist, we will cease to be sent. We will no longer be sent. We will no longer be part of under this sending that Jesus has proclaimed or, or given this mandate that Jesus has given to his disciples. Honestly, I think this is true for every human being alive. But the reality is most humans alive have not yet surrendered their hearts to their maker, which means they're not living in this. But at the very least, I could say, anyone who's a disciple of Jesus, I believe these words apply, which means I believe we should see that what Jesus was telling his immediate disciples has, brought, has come right down through the pages of Scripture, through the pages of time, into our lives today, sitting right here in this room today to realize that I have as equally been sent into the world as Matthew was, as Paul was, as Thomas was, as all those other disciples were that we don't even know their names. Because there were more, right? They were not just the 12 that we know of. So what does that mean? What do I do with that? If that's true, Merlin, what does that mean? Let me go back to this verse here. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Because this is the verse I really want to base my message on this morning. Because I think it gives us a lot of those answers. I think it speaks to some of the things we have to wrestle with, some of the things we have to give up to, some of the things we have to uh, internalize, some of the things we have to realize that are true, and not make it what it's not supposed to be, but make it what it is supposed to be. That might be more confusing than it's worth. So let me just talk about, these words actually showed up in a lot of the texts that we read. I read the whole basis, the whole background, but we're going to see them again in this verse. I think, first of all, we have to recognize that there's an authority here that we need to wrestle with. There's an authority. When Jesus, even just in this specific verse, we could look at some other verses that I read that talk about his authority. But when Jesus says, you will receive power, I would tell you by the very definition of receiving something, that means it comes from, not from us, right? Right? If I would just tell you that you have to go do something without giving you anything, you would come to understand that you have to do it on your own strength, that you have to do it on your own authority, that, you're the, that you carry you carry the, the impetus or the authority to do what you're supposed to do. But when I give you something, then you know that that authority came from somewhere else. And Jesus does exactly that. Now, if you read the Matthew commission, of course, he says, I have all authority. But even in here, he's, just before this, he said, when they were asking questions about what's going to happen, he said, that's not for you to know. That's not under your authority. God has fixed those by his own authority. But you will receive power. You will receive authority. So I say that to mean to say a couple of things. One, as we are being sent, we do carry authority. But it's a delegated authority. It's not our authority. We don't have the authority, to be honest, we don't have the authority to invite anyone into God's kingdom. Except that he's delegated it to us. Paul would write to the Corinthians in his second letter that we are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal for him. We have delegated authority. But the other thing about this authority that I want us to see is it's not just the fact that we can somehow then maybe pat ourselves on the back as we're carrying some authority with us, but it's a reminder that we are under authority. We ourselves are under authority. Again, I don't want to belabor a point that maybe is obvious to you already, 
But if we are under someone's authority, that means they get to tell us what to do. And if Jesus says we should do the things we're just going to talk about here in a little bit, if he says that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and we will be witnesses and name some places, then we don't get a choice, do we? Well, of course we get a choice because you can ignore him. You can not surrender. You can do your own thing. But that's no longer called being a disciple of Jesus. You understand that, right? That's no longer being called a disciple of Jesus. It's why we began the theme of making disciples with first being a disciple. You can't make disciples if you're not already one, right? So when we are under, and this, I'm telling you, I mean, we may want to get to some wonderful things like tell me how to, what this means, Merlin, but I'm telling you, if we don't get past this part, the rest of it won't matter. Until and unless you've surrendered your own will to his authority, it doesn't matter. but you will receive. Have you received that yet? Have you seen that in my life, I have surrendered me, Merlin, and I have received something else? I have become a new person. That's what scripture means when it says that. Well, what are we to receive specifically? It says we're gonna receive power. And I want, I'm kind of separating them, so I wanna be careful about that because I believe there is power there. There's the power to do the task that God has called us to do. And that power doesn't come from us. We all know that, again, it's all up here, but it's so hard, I believe, to live that out sometimes because we are pretty self-sufficient people. We have pretty much everything at our disposal. We can do just about anything we want to, or we can pay someone to do just about anything we want to. So it becomes a really vital discussion for North American, Western, Mennonite, whatever you want to call us, Christians, to say that this power source is not us. I'm not asking us to carry out anything other than allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power when he has come upon you. That is the unction. That is why Jesus looked at them and said, look, you could go running around Jerusalem right now and tell everyone that Jesus is alive and change your lives and give your life to him, but it won't do much good. You need to wait, 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 and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power to do, and then it will happen, and it, that's exactly what did happen. We also theologically believe that when we trust Christ for our salvation and give him our allegiance, that's the authority question, give him our allegiance that the Holy Spirit comes on us as a down payment, but also to provide power. Power to live right, no question. Power to live holy before God, no question. But also power to carry out the task that God has for us. What is that task? Let's talk about the task because that's right there and it's the next line, right? And I think we need to just bring this back to the simplicity of what Jesus said to them. The task is we are to be witnesses of Jesus. We are to testify of Jesus. We are to point to Jesus. I'm sure, I'm not against these kind of things, I'm sure there is room for wonderful strategies of how to share the gospel, how to evangelize people, how to really ground believers, how, what they need to be taught, all the things... I'm not discounting those things. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm, not, I'm saying at its basic level, you seeing yourself being sent, me seeing myself being sent, simply means that I am to be a witness of who Jesus is, that there needs to be evidence of Jesus in me. This is why the power comes from the Holy Spirit, because otherwise I don't have any evidence. Otherwise, I'm a selfish person. I do what I want to do. I want to get my way. I get unhappy when I don't get my way. But when the Holy Spirit is in me, then none of that's true. When the Holy Spirit's in me, I live to serve other people. 
When the Holy Spirit's in me, then I give up my rights. I, 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 I defer to others. When the Holy Spirit is in me, then I speak encouraging words. I point out wrong when it's there. I stand firm. I stand strong. But all that's the Holy Spirit, right? It's Christ living in me. That's what Paul said to the Colossians. Christ living in me. So if I want to point to Christ, this is very simple. It's very logical. But you have to know it. You have to receive it again. If I want to point to Christ, then Christ has to be in me. That's the pointer I have. Let me just say again, I'm not against learning strategies how to evangelize people. And I'm certain when we get sent into other contexts of, of evangelization, we do have to do some training. So I'm not simply saying we should reject all that stuff and just say, well, it's just me and the Holy Spirit. I'm saying we begin with recognizing that the simplicity of the task is that Christ has to live in me and has to be on display in me and I have to be pointing to him so when people interact with me, no matter who they are, where they are, where I am, they see Jesus. I'm testifying to him. I'm pointing to him. Listen, it's hard enough. It's hard enough to go into some other place and do it, right? Why don't we start right where we're at? Why don't we live Christ in us right where we're at? And again, please understand, I'm not saying we're not doing that. I'm not saying that, that we're horrible at this. I'm returning us to the simplicity of the task at hand. It is the same task no matter where we are. It may come with some different complexities, but it's the same task. And let me cover one final thing. We've covered the authority that uh, is over us, the authority that we carry then, the power on how to do it. No one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them, so the Holy Spirit has to be active and working. And the task is that we are to point to Jesus. We're to allow the Holy Spirit inside of us to be put on display is really what it is. And the location then. Well, the location's right there, right? He says, hey, guys. He didn't say, hey, guys, because he was not nearly that formal or informal. But he said, the, the, the location is here, right here, right where you're at, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, you can really actually summarize all that up in one little three-letter word, or maybe it's actually you could use the longer word, right? Where is that? <laughs> That's everywhere, right? I was thinking all places. That's, what place is that? It's in all places, right? That's everywhere. There's not, there's not a part of the globe that's not covered by that. But I do think Jesus said that for a specific reason. He, he named those out for a specific reason, and they can be helpful to us. Because I think what happens is when we use this kind of missionary language all the time, when we talk about being sent, when we talk about that we're supposed to be God's missionaries, I do think that so many times we get sort of this glazed look and we think, well, that's talking about people that go somewhere physically, like leave to go somewhere. And if that's not me, then I kind of check out. And I told you in the very beginning, my point, I hope that I, the point that was made from Scripture at the beginning here was that every one of us is in that place. Every one of us is sent. Every one of us has a mandate to be filled with the Holy Spirit, receive power and authority when we do that, and to be His witnesses wherever we are. And it should be seen as wherever we are. And I think it's worth asking God, where am I sent? That's the question. Not am I sent, but where am I sent? Now, let's talk about location a bit because he uses that phrase, and I actually have back behind there this map of, of, uh, of the land in which they were looking at, of, of the Middle East, of, of Jerusalem, of Israel, modern-day Israel. And I don't know how well you can see. You probably can't see very much there, and it's fine. You don't have to see it. But he mentions these locations. And I want to just, 
I want to give you a perspective of how I interpret this, how I think our missions team interprets this, how we're going to talk about it tonight, which you're going to hear a little bit about. I'm, I'm going to cover that just a bit here. But we're going to talk about it tonight, and probably going forward, we're going to talk about it in these ways. So just to get us all on the same page, you could look at that as simply look at ge- geography, right? Like, I'm Jerusalem, and then there's Judea, and then there's Samaria, and then there's the end of the earth. So it's a geography question. I don't actually think Jesus defined it that way necessarily to just define geography, although that could be part of it. Let's take a look at the map here. So I, I circled Jerusalem because that's where they were at. Now that one makes pretty good sense, right? If I'm sent to Jerusalem, I don't get sent very far, do I? I probably don't change location at all, do I? Because that's where I'm already at. That's what he's saying. Jerusalem is where I'm already at. So Jerusalem is where you live. Now in our context, I'm gonna, we're gonna drag it over to you to say, I think that's within the local church here too. If you are serving and using your gifts either through ministry or through service opportunities, and you're doing it in Jerusalem, you're being sent to Jerusalem, then that means it's right where you are already, where you live. And I think especially it means in your local church context. It means that I'm sent to this place, the place where I belong and the place where I'm at and where, where, where I, I'm, I'm part of this body, this group. Again, that could be physically your home. It could be your church body as well. I'm fully aware that many of us are sent to Jerusalem because you live at home, in your home. You live with your families. You, live at, you, you go to work every day. That's in your Jerusalem. That's, that's, that's where you operate. And again, I'm convinced that we have to, we obviously use, many of you are plugged into here this church, and that's good. You are being sent to Jerusalem. I still think it's worth you asking if that's where you should be sent to. Or maybe some of you realizing that that is actually where I'm sent and I need to find some place to plug in if I'm not. But that's good. And then Jesus says, how about we take it out of there? The gospel's not going to just stay right here in this city. The gospel's going to go to this place called Judea and this place called Samaria. I sent the arrows. I don't know if you can see them. So I'm just going to circle those towns. Those, those aren't town names. Those are area names. Those, are, those are, are region names. Judea and Samaria. Now, if you would be saying this is only a geographical thing, you might look at that and say, well, it's right next door. One appears to be kind of close, the other one a little further away, but it's right next door. And certainly you could say, if I'm sent to Judea or Samaria, it might mean a regional kind of thing. Like maybe not right where map, but a regional kind of thing. I think Jesus was saying more than that. I think he was saying something different than it actually. Because I think when he mentions the Judea, one thing he's telling his disciples is when you are sent and you're going to go beyond Jerusalem. The gospel's going to go beyond Jerusalem. The witness of testimony of who I am beyond Jerusalem. Some of you will go to people who are just like you. Judeans are Jews. That's who lived in Judea. Jewish people. So you're going to go to people who are just like you. Who are culturally just like you. They don't know Jesus yet, but they're culturally just like you. You know their patterns. You know how they think. They know how you think. It's really, uh, it's a matter of you just informing them of who Jesus is, of helping them see you scripturally. Uh, Not just a matter, but it's you being a witness to people who are just like you. They look like you. They think like you. You know what they're like because you're one of them, culturally speaking. And the disciples did that, right? They went to the Jews. In fact, in almost all the places they went, they went to the Jews first. That was what I would call Judean ministry. But he mentioned Samaria too right? Samaria, I should put this next one up here. That's Judea. That's ministering, witnessing, being sent to your own culture. Samaria is a different ball of wax, isn't it? Do you you recall the Gospels when uh, people were moving around and they sometimes were like, hey, do we really want to go through that place there? Let's let's go over to the Jordan and cut up the Jordan to get around to Galilee, because Galilee is very Jewish too. 
but that's north of this place called Samaria. And these people that live in Samaria, we don't like that much. Mostly we don't like them because they're kind of half-breeds. They're kind of us, but they're not really us. They're enough different. They don't really worship the God that we do, at least we don't think so. We don't like them. They think they're part of us, but we don't want them to think they're part of us. Catch the distinction? They're sort of us, but not really. And we don't really like them. In fact, for lots of Jewish people, it was probably, as, it, was, it was just as difficult to accept a Samaritan, maybe more difficult to accept a Samaritan than a full-fledged Gentile. We actually face some of that sometimes, people that are just enough like us that it's almost easier to get to accept somebody who's way out there that's totally, totally not like us. I'll tell you, we struggle with it all the time, actually. Because we often, I'll just, be, I'll just be blunt with you, we often, as local churches here, we're totally okay with some of the things that, that the way they interpret scriptures and some of the practices they carry when they're in some foreign context with some heathen people over there that look far different than us. And we're not okay with that, that people that look kind of like us and so they should act just like us and do just like us, who are kind of our culture but not really our culture. I believe when Jesus says you're going to go to Judea and to Samaria, he's identifying that you're going to go to some near culture, um, some, some own culture people, and some what I would call near culture, or what is called near culture, which means they're a little bit like you, but they're not totally like you. Honestly, for most of us sitting in this room, there's a lot of near culture people right around us. They may be white, they may be American. But if you grew up Mennonite, they're not like us. Or maybe I can use this distinction. I, most of us are pretty firmly middle class, which means they're not middle class. They're, they're, uh, they, they don't live, they, they, have a, they have a more of a poverty. They live more in poverty than we do, which makes them think differently and act differently, prioritize things differently. And it's hard for us to understand, isn't it? I think some of us, if we're willing to ask God, are sent to near culture people. That could geographically be somewhere at some distance, or geographically could be right. It may mean you don't have to sell your home and go anywhere. It actually probably means you could continue going to church here, potentially, but yet your ministry and your outreach and your service is to people who are not quite like you. And there's some gaps you have to fill. When you bring the gospel in those cases, there's some gaps you have to fill, right? You have to contextualize some things. You have to be very careful that you're not exporting your own culture, but you're exporting the gospel. Again, this actually sometimes is more difficult than what the next one is. We understand the next one, right? Jesus said, by the way, not only are you going to go to right next door, Judea, Samaria, people that are, all, that are like you and almost like you, but you're going to go to the end of the earth where people are nothing like you, where you have no... You have, there's so few similarities. You don't speak the same language. You don't look the same. You have no, none of the same practices. Like nothing is alike and everything has to be contextualized. And there are people that are called into those contexts too. Those contexts exist for us, right? Still today, there's places you can go to. In fact, lots of places you go to other than right here that are completely different cultures. Many of those places that know nothing about Jesus. Stanley referred to the 1040 window we refer to that for a reason, because there's a huge pocket where there's the biggest majority of people in the, around the globe that have never heard of Jesus at all. And you go to minister in that context, and it is completely foreign. 
It's not even close to anything like what you and I know. But guess what? Some of us are sent there because the gospel still needs to go there. Jesus still needs to be testified to there. As you look at this, and I, again, I wanted to put this up because I wanted to give you a framework so we're on the same page. As you look at this, and hopefully what happens as you look at this, as we've gone through this morning and you've hopefully recognized that, hey, I am part of the call of being sent. I, I'm under that commission. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm sent somewhere. Where am I sent? Am I sent to right where I'm at? Am I sent to minister, maybe not within my local church, but within people who are like me, come from my culture that don't know Jesus yet? Am I sent to be a witness to people who are close to me? Maybe I don't have to move anywhere, but they're, they're, they're almost like me, but they're not quite like me. Or am I sent somewhere where people are not anything like me at all? And again, my challenge is to sincerely, honestly assess what God has. And again, I will tell you, I don't, many of you are operating in some of these ways already. Maybe this is helpful for you to clarify what area am I, what, what, what part of this do I, do I see myself thriving in? Is that what I should be? Tonight, if you're sitting here this morning, well, either way, tonight, we actually have a service planned, our missions committee put it together, we have a service planned to help put some like practical hands, feet, rubber meets the road kind of stuff to what I talked about this morning. In helping us see that if I am sent, where am I being sent to? How am I being sent? And if I'm not already engaged in something like that, what are the things that are possibilities for me? And I want to stress that. What are things that are possibilities for me? We plan to have here tonight a whole bunch of possibilities. We're going to set up tables in the back out there, and we're going to actually have tangible possibilities that fit each of these categories. I mean, these are not hardly defined categories, not rigid, like there's overlap, right? But somewhat fit each of these categories to if I'm being sent to Jerusalem, what might that look like? If I'm not, if I'm not, don't know what that might look like or what that might be, here's some options. If I'm being sent to Judea, to Samaria, you fill in each of those categories. Possibilities. There may be other ones. I don't know. You may already be operating one. Quite likely one that we don't even know about. We want to know about it. In fact, we want to know where you, what you're already doing. Because it is our belief, and I say this speaking as a pastor. I say this speaking as a person on a, on a missions committee. I say this speaking as an elder on your leadership team. I say this as a follower of Jesus. I'm convinced that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are being sent. So the question is not whether I am, but the question is, what do you have for me, Lord? And what's standing in the way? What's keeping me from doing that? What's keeping me from taking the next step? All those things are things we want to explore tonight, so I would love to see you back here tonight to uh, help us just uh, pray and explore what those things might look like. In any case, I hope you see yourself being sent. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for the word this morning. I thank you for your Holy Spirit's work among us. And I thank you for this body, this local body here. I know, I know already, God, because I, I do a lot of ministry with these people that are here in this church building this morning. So I know that many of us see, already have this recognition that we are to live missionally. And so I pray that this morning might just be a fine-tuning of that, might be a recommitment. But I also pray this morning that there's, uh, as, as there's, I'm sure there's people sitting here that don't think this way, 
The, the, our mindset has not yet shifted to say that I'm not here to fulfill my own desires or to do what I want to. Or maybe if we don't even think that way conscientiously, our actions are thinking that way. And we're asking you now this morning, am I truly being sent? Am I truly seeing myself as being sent? And this morning, by your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would shift the, the, the basic perspective, the basic mindset, the undergirding truth of our life to see that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I am sent by Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness wherever I'm at, but to ask you, God, where that might be. We, we t- this morning, God, as we have come through this, I've, my heart's desire is not to cover the second half of that we're going to trust that you're going to bring people back tonight, and we're going to be able to walk in that tonight. But my, what I think you want from us this morning is simply to stop with that first question of, am I truly seeing my life? Have I truly surrendered my life into being sent by you? In fact, God, I think it's an important enough question that I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. I'm going to let us just sit and let you, your Holy Spirit, deal with us or to speak to us about that. Thank you, Father, that we can always, I can always, and we can always trust in you. And I, I have no doubt you do what you need to do during these moments when we give you a chance. I want to proclaim the worthiness of Jesus Christ, the glory of who Jesus is and what you, God, have done through Jesus, rescuing, redeeming, giving us the victory over sin, over death, over ourselves, our own flesh creating new creations in the side of us, returning us to how you designed us and created us originally for good works to be done to the glory and honor of your name, God. And I want to tell you that that is the endeavor, the goal of my heart and my life. Thank you for the church that you've brought here that has those same things. And I pray that this morning, as we have surrendered to your call, that you would now lead us in in, in the ways you see fit. You are, after all, our leader, our, our guide, our Savior, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.